Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Joe Lalo. And on today's episode, we're going to be addressing some of the myths about being successful in self-publishing that keep going around and around. And a lot of this applies to traditional publishing too. So anyone is welcome to listen, of course. And if we have time at the end, we'll also, we've got some of your questions from the Facebook group about burnout that um, we'll try to answer at least one or two. We'll see how things go. And um, I hope, hopefully this will be more encouraging than discouraging, but you know, we can't make any promises. I don't know. My myths, my myth busting, isn't myth busting by nature kind of discouraging? Like you watch myth busters and you're like, what? MacGyver couldn't really do that? What the heck? Disappointing. All right. Before we jump in, do you guys have any news you'd like to share? Um, I have news I would like to share, but I don't know if I really want to share it. <laughs> my BookBub promo, people. It was a major flop, <laughs> F-L-O-P, um, to give you an idea. So the last time I ran this, bo- this box at 99 cents, same book cover, same target, uh, the teen and YA category was like three years ago. And I had like 5,000 downloads on it. Oh my gosh. It's just so sad. This time I'm, uh, hold on. Let me pull up. Let's see. I'm pulling up my book report right now. And I'm going to tell you, guess how many downloads I got on it. 168. <laughs> and those are sales though, right? You did <clears throat> sales though. 99 cent sales. And that's what the promo was the last time. Oh, okay. What's that? Sorry. Yeah. The last promo I did was 99 cent three years ago. I didn't change anything. It was all the same. I mean, this time it's in Kindle Unlimited, but um, I mean, these are Amazon downloads and it's been three years and usually, oh, and I'm lagging. Sorry. Sorry. That means I'm lagging for listeners too. Sorry guys. Um, anyway, so usually, I mean, usually when I do a, a, the same feature in same category, I have better results than that. But so I had 168 downloads of a 99 cent box set and, um, yeah, I'm very displeased with how it went. I actually reached out to BookBub and I was like, Hey, um, I'm like, let's see what did I say. Thanks for running my box set yesterday. Would you be able to tell me how many clicks it got? And they sent that information out a few days later because they like to wait for it to percolate for longer, a longer time. Um, they had 925 clicks in Amazon, Amazon US, 125 in UK, 75 in Canada, 50 in Australia, and 25 in India. And the US, they have 100 cells uh, listed and 25 cells in the UK. And so... Anyway, so I, I obviously was very disappointed because it didn't even come close to earning back. And I don't, I don't know my inkling, my, sorry, my first, uh, what's the word? My first initial step or whatever I can't think is not to blame BookBub because, um, I mean, the book, this, the, the book covers on this box set are old. Uh, I haven't updated it in, in, in since 2016. Um, but I mean, anyway, I don't know. I, I asked them, my follow-up question to them was, um, how other books in the same category have been performing recently. They have not responded to that. It's been like a two, like a day or two. And, um, I hope they give me that information because I don't think it's, I think it's my book. I think I need to update the book cover. I mean, the book cover is not horrible. This is a book cover that as a cover designer, I won an award for, which was really cool, but I do believe it's outdated. And so I don't know, I guess we just have to see, am I totally frozen again or is it working? No, Lindsay, um, that one it's guy. It's pretty choppy for me, so I don't know. You might have to keep your answers kind of short tonight. Sorry. Joe, is it choppy for you too? It's choppy, but like we're getting the whole the whole sentence. It's just, it has to catch up. Okay. So while Joe or Lindsay is giving their news in just a minute, I am going to text my husband and say, stop streaming everything because <laughs> maybe that'll help. Um, but then the last bit of news I had was um, I'm almost done. I'm nearly 
three quarters of the way through writing Dr. Lincoln. And I had a day, I mean, I've been writing between 3000 and 7,000 words a day. And um, so that's been pretty exciting. My goal was 4,000 words a day. And then this week I was like, I'm going to finish by Saturday. I increased that goal to 7,000 words a day. And I've met it two days <laughs> this week so far. But anyway, I mean, I like having goals that are a little hard to reach because I still feel good about it if I get 6,000 words instead of 7,000. Anyway, so that's all for me. All right. Uh, hopefully that will help. Yeah, I think you can't be watching movies in the background on another computer unless you've got some amazing, amazing internet. I just wanted to share a little tidbit as we're re we are recording this. Uh, Amazon reported their last quarter's earnings today, and I was watching a guy kind of analyzing everything. And, you know, the most exciting part for him as an investor was that Amazon ad revenue is doing really well. It's like for 2021, they made $28 billion total revenue on that. And they the profit on that they keep almost half of it because you know that's pretty inexpensive for them compared to they actually lost money in the, like the on the retail side so you know where their cash cow is that in um aws their web hosting stuff but and he, he had some estimates for like what revenue is going to be like from the just the ad portion going forward and they were estimating that in 2026 it'll be up to 84 billion so i just thought that was interesting to point out as an author who pays a bunch of money to advertise on amazon as we all do um, be aware that they're projecting it's just gonna they're gonna be making more and more from advertisers. Obviously, this is not just authors. This is every everybody selling in the Amazon store is advertising and trying to get product placement. But um, it could just continue to get more and more competitive and more expensive as we go along. So no surprise there. But plan have other plans have other um, things you're working on trying to get in the works so you're not completely reliant on that for your income. All right, Joe, do you have any news you'd like to share? Um, just a little bit. Um, so I released uh, today, uh, as I'm recording this, so a week ago, as you're listening to it, I released um, the second anthology, so books four, five, six, and all of the short stories since the first anthology from my Book of Deacon series. So that's out right now. Uh, I have no idea how it's doing. It's probably not doing particularly well at the moment because I'm not going to be doing the full announcement for it until the 7th, which is when, uh, well, the days leading up to the seventh, so I'll be doing it probably tomorrow and on Sunday. But uh, on the seventh, I have a book bub as well, a ninety-nine cent on the previous one. So, um, hoping to you know slowly build up to that. So I'm not even going to look at the numbers until like a week afterward because uh, numbers have been bumming me out recently. Um, other than that, I have uh, literally today finished the final revision for uh, Greater Lands 4. So the, the, my latest epic fantasy is going to go to my editor. I'm actually going to go to my editor the middle of uh, March. So I'm going to be able to get ahead, which is nice, because I have a lot of deadlines. This I have a lot of edit slots this year. So I, I, uh, it's nice to be able to get about a month ahead on that. Um, and I... I don't know when that's going to release, probably the end of March, because, uh, again, I, I feel like I revised it pretty well. So I don't probably, hopefully, the editor won't come back to me and say you have a glaring plot hole that needs to be addressed. Uh, and yeah, that's about it for me. Meanwhile, I've tried to get some book bubs since we all talked about how we were going to try to get more of them. And they don't like me anymore. <laughs> they keep turning me down. To be fair, I haven't tried anything new. Like I haven't had like a new book one that I've been trying to do outside uh, anything this wide. So, uh, but it could just be blacklisted. You know how it is when you have a podcast, <laughs> you open your mouth somewhere. Uh, Andrea will be blacklisted next. No, she wasn't blaming BookBub. Um, but anyway, let's just go ahead and jump into the myths. I think we each wrote down a couple and then we'll discuss them. So my first one 
is that you know I, I feel like this is still a lot of people believe this that you you need to get in with like the in crowd by hustling or networking or you need to find someone with a big following to blast your book out to their newsletter and that's going to be the key to your success first off uh i was going to say i'm going to say you don't need any of that <laughs> i didn't get any of that myself you know for several years um, but this isn't hollywood and so when we're talking self-publishing anyway there, there's no gatekeepers that you need help getting past and you can absolutely be successful without ever talking to another author quite frankly like there's nothing wrong with going to conferences and networking especially if you enjoy that kind of thing but if that kind of thing terrifies you and you have zero interest in it it is not necessarily it's not like going to be the key to your success, most likely. And second, even if someone with a big following plugs you, it's not like it's going to be the key to lasting success. Over the years, I, I have been fortunate enough, you know, not early on, but midway more in my author career to have my books reviewed on popular sites or blogged about by like a traditional author with a big following. And you absolutely get a little blip in sales or downloads, like especially, I think in my case, they were always free books. So it's like, wow, well, didn't get any sales from that. But um you know, got a little attention on the books, but it's nothing compared to what I've just gotten over the years by having the free book ones constantly chipping away at promoting those, whether by buying ads on BookBub or Amazon or Facebook or participating in multi-author box sets. And, you know, not never when I've done one of those box sets has anybody been a superstar that's in the set. It's usually you know, eight, six, eight people coming together that are similar levels of success, because those are the people who are going to be most interested in it is other people who are kind of in a similar place to you are with newsletter building and gathering a fan base and all that. So, you know, but uh, anyway, it's pretty common for readers to write to me and tell me how they first found my books. And I can't think of a single time when somebody wrote and said like, oh, I, I found out your work when so-and-so blogged about it on their site. So, you know, it's not like it's a, it's a great thing if something like that happens, but it's not like you need it to happen to be successful. And another thing to realize when you're like you're pitching, you know, some people have no <laughs> qualms about like pitching themselves to strangers, but realize that even if it works out and big ex big author does promote you that their work is not going to be exactly like yours. And the reason people are fans of theirs may not translate to your books, to them being fans of your books. They may not like yours at all. I've actually seen books where um, I've mentioned them because I actually, you know, I enjoyed the book. So I mention it or, or it's like somebody I've traded critiques with or something. So we have a relationship. So I mentioned them to my readers. And I've seen multiple times when my readers gave their books bad reviews because they were comparing it to like my stuff that they liked. And it made me feel bad. You know, it's one of the, re I mean, there's a lot of reasons I don't hardly plug anything, uh, especially, but especially don't, I don't do because like, if it's a new release like that, or they're a newer author, it can, you know, a bad review when you only have a couple one can actually hurt things. Um, so anyway, long story short-ish, <laughs> success in self-publishing and being able to have a career is generally more about just kind of chipping away of it over away at it and making sales over time rather than getting some giant boost you know, even um, Amazon's algorithms ignore big blips like that, the so-called bookbub effect. So it's not like it's getting a mention is going to propel you up into the rankings and suddenly you're going to be selling a ton. It's more likely, you know, you'll get a little blip that one day. So like I said, you just have to, I know it's, it's hard to hear, but you have to kind of be patient and just try to like think with each new release, you know, run a promo of your book one in that series and see if you can get a few more fans. And over time it does add up you know nothing that happens on any given day is going to make or break your author career with rare exceptions or something you get your book made into a movie that doesn't happen to many of us those uh, you know and again 
it's hard when you're not getting many people to find your books, but also realize that the people who find your books organically, because it was exactly what they were looking for, they're probably going to be really loyal readers and really like what you have to offer versus people that like grabbed it off a of BookBub because it was on sale. Not that you can't get great fans that way, but it's very, it's very much like just spraying it out and hoping that your super fans happen to be on that book, book general book bub list for fantasy. You know, whereas um, if you're writing something really specific and they have to hunt for it and find it, you know, that's the kind of fan that could be really loyal for a really long time. All right, sorry, I rambled a lot on that. You guys have any comments on that one? I could say like, I mean, I agree. Uh, like blips help. Like anything that gets your, gives your thing any sort of visibility helps, but it's not the key because like let's say you succeed and you get somebody uh you know a superstar who who can direct millions of eyes to your book if you haven't done the legwork to make sure that your book and your your catalog is in a position to succeed then that blip is going to be completely wasted um i early on my i had a very successful blip a, a website called pixel of ink uh, picked up my book when it went free and I got 25,000 downloads. And uh, while I did have a, a book to read through to, and so I did get a fair amount, like it's, it's, it's what gave me my first really good push early in my career. I didn't have my newsletter set up yet. And I probably left thousands of, uh, of uh, email addresses of the enthusiastic readers on the table because I didn't have that. And, and so, you know, if I didn't have sell through either, that blip would have been not, you know, it would have been gone. I mean, I would have made zero money off of it because it was on a free book. And, uh, and that would have been that. So, yeah, I mean, again, if you can get stuff like that to help you out, that's great. But it's not going to make you unless you've got all of the other, uh, you know, fundamentals ready. Yeah, I also agree with this one. Um, success with books isn't usually correlated with networking or getting a mention somewhere. Um, it comes a lot of the time by word of mouth and many mouths lead to more success. So as the snowball rolls down the hill and gets bigger and bigger, it's small to start, but as you and others add to it, like you releasing books and things like that, it gains traction speed and size. The biggest thing is you adding um, to it yourself. Um, I will say that if you get readers talking about your books, that's where the magic is. Um, having a big name person can uh, mention you can result in a blip. And I've heard of authors taking off after someone specific mentioned about them or talked about them. But in order for that to happen, like Lindsay said, your audiences need to be pretty perfect matched, perfectly matched. They have to have strong similarities. And you also need to have a larger solid backlist for those readers to get through because if they only have a handful of books or if what you have isn't perhaps as good as it should be or isn't perfectly matched, they'll forget you and quickly move on. And that's, I mean, I, that's been true with me with, you know, when I've discovered other authors and their books, I'm like, they only have one or two books. It's really hard for me to remember who they were, um, you know, years later. And I read on the Kindle app and downloading books does not happen easily. Like it's still all in my, my Amazon account, but I don't remember the names of the books that I read and enjoyed. And I can't go and find them because there's like thousands of books on my Amazon device. And so it's just, things are a lot easier if you are the one propelling that success forward. You guys both made a good point too, that like, it, it'll be better if it does happen once you have more books out. You know, there's like, <laughs> if it's your first book or you only got a couple out, you almost, it's almost wasted at that point. Like you want it to be when you've got a whole series out or a lot of things for people to check out if they do become fans after you get a mention. All right, my next myth, and then I'll pass it off to Joe and Andrew to do some more, is that you need to release, you need to rapid release or write a book a month to have success, especially in certain genres. You don't, and I, I think that it's important not to mistake 
super success or like uber success, seven figures type of success with, you know, being able to quit your day job if that's what you're looking for. You know, uh, so a lot of times you see the people who are doing really well, like they are doing really well. Like you can be not a nobody, you know, like you can be a midless author with a couple series out and make pretty decent money. Um, so it's like, it's great if, you know, you can have super success, but uh, I, I don't want to like make you guys think in listening to six figure authors that you have to do this kind of stuff to make that hundred thousand a year mark. Like it's, it's not easy. It, it'll take time, but it, it's not like you, the people you see who are in the charts every, every time you look and that have a new release, every time you look, they're probably making a lot more than a hundred thousand a year. Um, you know, but so see these tactics like rapid release or writing a book a month, they can absolutely accelerate things. And part of that is because you're accelerating, accelerating the creation of a backlist that can continue to sell perpetually. But, you know, most of the authors you see doing that and staying up the charts, they, a lot of it is that just that's kind of their skill. They happen to be able to write and produce books quickly that their fans like. And, you know, that's not everybody's skill. We all have our strengths. We just had that last week. We talked about kind of figuring out your strengths as an author and how they can help you. And I always, you know, sometimes I share, oh, you know, I'm doing 10,000 words a day because I'm working on this big epic fantasy that I want to get done. And people are like, wow, you can do 10,000 words a day. That's crazy. How do you do that? Meanwhile, maybe their skill that they're super good at is skiing and they're over here doing the double black diamonds without, and I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. How can you do that without killing yourself? I'm just gonna to stick to the blue runs like a sane person. But the thing is you both get down the mountain at the end of the day. One person just gets there faster and that's great for them. But hey, maybe you got a little bit more of a scenic route. Maybe you didn't break anything on the way there. That's always helpful. So, you know, it's just, you have to be patient. Again, you can accumulate a backlist over time. It's just gonna take longer than some of this writing a lot. And, you know, whatever you need to, however you need to feel to like make, you know, I just don't want people to feel bad because that's not in their writing makeup because it's just, you know, that's one tool, one kit, one toolbox, whatever. And then there's a lot of other strengths that I'm sure you have. So they will help you. You can get there. We have chatted with six figure authors even on this show who publish one book a year and can make it happen even in competitive genres. So don't let that be like too discouraging or an excuse. Like I can't do it because I can't do that. Just you know, maybe it'll take longer. You'll get there. Yeah, um, I've had, you know, measure some measurable success since 2011 or so. And I've, I've been a professional author, like full-time author since 2014, I believe. And I have never really sustained uh, a, a rapid release. I've had uh, free series starters, uh, enthusiastic fans. I've had some promo. I've had a little bit of luck. And that's what's kept me going. Uh, again, I mean, if you listen to the show, you know that... Uh, because I was jumping between genres, I don't think I released more than one book in the same genre in the same year, uh, with the exception of the first three, which were written at the same time, but I still released them over a year apart. Uh, I think I've only done it twice in my entire career, where I released more than one genre in the same, uh, more than one book in the same series in the same year. So yeah, it's absolutely not a necessity to be successful. There's other, there's other avenues. And, um, and I'm sorry. <laughs> about my internet. <laughs> yeah, my internet's uh, having problems. But uh, I, I also agree with this. I'm glad Lindsay um, commented because in her original note, she didn't have the comment about, <laughs> about the people who are in the very, very top of the charts. They're doing way better than most people would need to be happy. And I totally 100% agree with that. So um, I agree with this one. Uh, I think that we lose sight really quickly of what success is and what our goals are. Um, 
I'm going to say my little caveat is it doesn't, you don't need to be writing quickly, but it doesn't hurt. Um, and that the one, the authors who are doing one book a year, their path is so unique and specific to them that it would be really hard for other people to replicate it. Uh, and the easiest thing, not the easiest, but the most sure thing to replicate is writing uh, and releasing quickly. But um, if you aren't able to do that, then get creative, find a way to stick in readers' minds and um, have patience and learn what, what your readers want. And then write in the genres, genres the best fit you. Um, whether that be ones that you find the most joy in or the ones you have the most success with is something that you'll have to figure out on your own. But uh, yeah, you don't need to be writing super quickly. My most successful successful years when I was making six figures was um, I was releasing four books a year and I know things are different now. And I'm honestly interested to see how my medical romance goes because I'm starting under a new pen name. I've only got two books out. And this year I'm hoping that I will be able to do a perfect little science experiment and see if it's possible to make uh, decent money um, starting out brand new. But again, a lot of you guys aren't brand new authors. And so it's not like you're starting out brand new. So you don't, I mean, if you have a decent backlist and you are releasing quality books, then you don't need to be, and especially rapid releasing. Sorry, I know my internet's having problems, but rapid releasing works when you've been doing that for a while, when you've got a solid following and when you're releasing books consistently and your readers know what schedule to follow. Not writing or releasing anything for like a year and then rapid releasing doesn't, doesn't generally work um, because yeah, and stuff. All right. <laughs> So the, uh, the, the next uh, myth, I'll be taking the next myth here, and it's that you need to be Amazon exclusive to make a living self-publishing these days. Uh, I mean, it's true that Amazon exclusivity uh, reduces complexity and provides a handful of benefits that are missing from wide or hybrid publishing method. But uh, and I, I'm frequently when I'm some when I'm giving direct advice to someone who's asking for advice, I'll recommend starting off Amazon exclusive. Like it's a it's a very there's definitely reasons for doing it, but there's still plenty of value in being wide. I am wide with almost all of my books. I have two series that aren't wide, and one of them will be going wide sooner rather than later. Uh, it takes a fair amount more hustle to take adv full advantage of the different benefits of wide, but they are many. Uh, you're free to engage in limited time promotions and sales opportunities that, you know, because of Amazon exclusivity, you'd have to completely avoid. I know plenty of people, I used to uh, curate, in fact, I used to be the official curator for Story Bundle for a couple of months, and, and I have curated many Story Bundles over the years. And the biggest problem is, is you know, you reach out to somebody who's super excited to be a part of it, and then they don't realize, oh, I can't be in it because I'm Amazon exclusive. Um, similarly, you can take advantage of site-specific promotions, many of which are, well, as to say, like on, on Kobo or on, I don't know, Smashwords, on Apple, on, on uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, and very frequently, those small, well, smaller by you know, market uh, uh, sites are much more willing to work with mid and low tier authors because you know, uh, they don't have, frankly, because Amazon can, can be, you know, just they can decide uh, we're only going to take the top of the top people who are trying to, to beat Amazon at their game are, are uh, going to be spreading a wider net. Uh, I've never had a, like a direct representation or a, a direct Amazon, uh, you know, promo, but I've had plenty of them on, on Google and Apple and a couple on, on uh, uh, Barnes and Noble and everybody had really sort of has the opportunity on Kobo. So yeah. Uh, also, uh, international audiences. There's a lot of international markets that aren't um, focused 
on Amazon. Like Amazon has storefronts that aren't the number one storefront in some countries. So again, you hit those uh, local storefronts uh, when you're wide and you have a better chance in those places, which is particularly useful if you're not an English language author. So yeah, there's the tremendous value in being wide and exclusivity is by no means necessary to be successful. There are definitely a lot of authors doing really well going wide. And I made it, you know, well into six figures before starting to tinker with, you know, making my newer series exclusive uh, to Amazon back in 2016. And I definitely know people who sell more wide than I ever did. Uh, one of the reasons I decided to start playing with exclusivity is because even when I was wide, the majority of my sales were coming from Amazon. But, you know, some people just have worked really hard and said, you know what, I want Apple to be my big person. And they kind of go after that and really try to get you know, just really focus on that. And you can, a lot of times, if you put that effort in, I, you know, I, I think the only thing I ever did to try to get the other ones was every now and then a book bub ad back in the days before they blacklisted me. No. <laughs> um, and I occasionally tried running some Facebook ads and stuff like that, but you, you do need to put the effort in, especially as much effort as you put into Amazon. Now you need to try to put it into the other stores if you want to succeed wide, but you can definitely do so. And, you know, Whatever you do, whichever way you want to go, just make sure you give it a good shot. We've talked about this before and kind of avoid or definitely avoid hopping in and out of exclusivity, going wide, then pulling your books and then going back into Amazon. One of the reasons I did start doing the new releases is it kept me from ever having to yank things that had been wide. That's one thing I didn't want to do. You never know when somebody's going to be in the middle of reading a series and then suddenly, oh, where'd those books go? And one, uh, one big perk of being wide is that you can have the perma-free or free for a long time book one series starters. Uh, and that can obviously Amazon will price match though. So you'll end up having a free book one on Amazon too. And I, I get a, a steady trickle of sales that way without ever having to advertise those older series. Although it, it helps a lot if you can throw an ad at them every now and then, or if you can kind of, especially in the beginning, if you can focus on them and, and advertise them a bit to help get things rolling. I definitely find that my free book ones that do the best are the ones that at one point, even if it was years ago now, they they did get a big push, whether through a BookBub ad or, you know, I've, I we talked about the multi-author box sets, that kind of thing too, can kind of help get things going. So you do have to put the effort in if you want to succeed, but that's pretty much true of all the stores. <laughs> and there aren't any free rides anymore. Which is, it, it's just signed that our market is is maturing. You know, the, the gold rush happens at the beginning of a new, you know, like cryptocurrency and all that stuff. Everybody's rushing to do it. And now it's harder. Uh, that's just, that's just the way it is with pretty much every market. And it's, and it's nice because those who are interested in learning and putting in the work will succeed in the long run. Whereas those who are only interested in doing the gold rush, they won't succeed as easily. And, um, as we've mentioned, there are so many ways down the mountain, um, wider exclusive is, is a very personal decision. And I believe if you have the time to devote to building a wide audience, you could be very, very successful at it. And we've had several authors on our podcast who are wide and making a lot of money. And so, yeah, you don't have to be exclusive to Amazon. Right, and uh, my next myth is you need to invest in expensive software and hardware to publish effectively. I actually wouldn't have thought this was something people believed, but I got three emails in the space of about a month from people asking if they had to hire somebody to do their book formatting, et cetera, thanks to the fact that they didn't own or couldn't afford a Mac. Um, so, 
you know, background. Vellum and Scrivener are two key tools in the toolbox for a lot of self-publishers. Vellum is one of the most popular tools available to uh, self-publishers. It is a uh, piece of software that really simplifies the task of making very attractive uh, eBooks and paperbacks. Um, Scrivener is a very useful word processor. And more than that, it's like a literary project uh, uh, you know, information gathering. Every, it's it's a, it's an interesting tool, uh, and Scrivener is available for Windows, and it's actually fairly cheap. Uh, arguably less so is Vellum. Vellum is in the order of hundreds of dollars if you're going to be using it uh, for more than a few books, and it is Mac exclusive. And they've made it fairly clear it will always be Mac exclusive. Um, on top of that, since it's Mac exclusive, you have to have a Mac, and Macs tend to run higher in cost than, than you know equivalent competitors that aren't Macs. So again, lots of people think that there's a, a high bar to entry if they expect to be using these tools. And here's the deal. If you're willing to do a little bit more fiddling, you can assemble an entirely free tool chain that, to get your books published uh, that's every bit as good. Uh, you just have to learn a little bit more. I don't have Vellum, have never had Vellum because I don't have a Mac and I've never had a Mac. Uh, I didn't use Scrivener initially either. So what do I use? Uh, Calibre or Calibre, if you're my friend who pronounces it that way, is a book conversion piece of software. Um, it's free, it's on all platforms. It updates ludicrously often, almost frustratingly often. So it's very uh, uh, you know, uh, active. And it will let you get down and dirty making EPUBs. If you want to make an EPUB that behaves precisely the way you want it to behave, you can literally get down to uh, editing the HTML if you want to. Or you can skip doing that entirely because uh, it makes them perfectly fine just by hitting a button. Uh, so yeah, it'll also, it will also convert books from virtually any uh, format to virtually any other format. I usually feed it a docx and it spits it out whatever I want. So that's Vellum taken care of. Uh, Scrivener or any your word processor of choice. My first eight books were written in OpenOffice or LibreOffice. I switched from one to the other halfway through, but they're basically the same. It's a perfectly serviceable word processor uh, and I've written full novels. So yeah, don't have to pay for Word or Scrivener or anything like that if you don't want to. There's a thing called the GNU image processor or GIMP which is an unfortunately named, but completely usable alternative to Photoshop. And I still use it for almost all of my graphics. Uh, and with those programs and a little patience, that's everything you need to make a book release. Uh, throw in Audacity, which is a free uh, uh, audio editing program. And now you can do audio books too. You'll need a better microphone. So there is some entry there, but um, yeah, you, you just, you, none of these, uh, none of these software costs a dime. They'll work on basically any piece of hardware. I have literally written and published a novella on a $35 Raspberry Pi computer. Like you'd be amazed at how low the cost to entry for self-publishing is still effectively zero. So don't worry about investing a ton of money. Uh, you can get a book out there. Pay somebody to do your cover art anyway, <laughs> please, please yes, do that. <laughs> I've used GIMP too, but not for cover art, but you could use that stuff for ad graphics and things like that for social media. 
or you know of course i'm assuming you don't have a graphic design background whoever's listening uh for someone with the right skills of course they could learn how to do their own covers eventually but um yeah i was just going to add that i think both draft or digital and amazon will allow you to just upload the word document and turn it into the necessary mobi or epub files so i can't vouch for that personally i've never tried it i don't know how they look but i, I would imagine they're just very bare bones and serviceable and that's all you really need for an ebook so that's all i have to say oh i think draft or digital will also do paperbacks for you if you uh, throw a Word doc up there. So no need to buy InDesign. That was when we got started, that was kind of what you had to do or, or pay someone to do it. So uh, again, I do use Vellum as a Mac person and <laughs> enjoy that. But if I didn't, I just use Draft or Digital. Why not? Uh, they'll do it for free and then they put your book out and you're good to go. Yeah, I used to upload just a Word document to Amazon back in the day. <laughs> I used Smashwords. Um, what was their their nuclear method and their formatting? You know all their formatting recommendations. And... The meat grinder. <laughs> <laughs> no, the nuclear method where you delete everything out of your Word document. Well, you had to do that so the meat grinder would work. Yes. Yeah. But that document was what I would upload to Amazon. So uh, I am grateful for what I learned from Smashwords. Like you know. I don't do that all that anymore just because a lot of the applications actually remove things for you. But I feel this one so much like Joe, I wish so much that you had told me that two years ago, because I, I, I broke down and I bought a Mac so I could also buy Val vellum. And that was one of the worst things I have ever done with my money. <laughs> I should have put that, should have put that money in the invest in the business episode. There's your typo, Lindsay. <laughs> uh, that's my typo actually uh it says incest in the business <laughs> in our word doc sorry everybody <laughs> got the giggles on that one um anyway so because i don't use mac or vellum often i have to relearn them every time i do a print book and because i generally don't have time to relearn them i hire other people to do it for me over viver fiverr um, anyway, I recently purchased Atticus and, and stockpiling books to put in print, but it's already better for me because I don't have to use a totally different operating system. And those Mac and cloud people are like, you don't have to, Adria. And I'm like, all I have to say about that is nope, <laughs> not, not interested. I'm trying to minimize programs that I use, not increase them. Anything Mac related is just a mistake for me. And I'm really excited to see where Atticus goes. I think Vellum's had a monopoly on that, the nice looking print and ebook um, which we call it in a long time. And I know I just lagged, didn't I? I just lagged, right? <laughs> He's nodding, yes, dang it. So I, just, I made a note in the chat. I'm going to be calling your internet provider again tomorrow. I, small city with only one internet service provider option, and I don't know what we're going to do, but we've been doing everything we can to get it fixed. Anyway, so I'm up next with the myth. Bear with me, those of you who are listening still. I'm sorry about my crappy internet. Um, if your first several books don't do well, it will mess up the trajectory of your career. Um, and this isn't a super widespread myth, meaning, you know, people in our positions like podcasters or whatever, we don't tell people that and we don't openly talk about it, but it's definitely one pretty much all authors feel to the core when they first start out. Um, I know we have newer authors in our audience and those who only published a few books or haven't even published yet um, in our audience. So um, this is for those of you who are just starting out. There's no such thing as a book that will mess up your career as an indie author if it doesn't do well, or even a series, um, unless you're putting that much expectation in it and you plan to quit if it goes poorly, which is a bad plan, by the way. Um, you are presented with an opportunity to do things over with every single book launch. You can always apply what you've learned to the next book and test things out or do the same thing, but with a different product. 
Uh, having your first book, few books do poorly is not, is the standard, sorry, is the standard, is not the exception and it will not hurt you except for your feelings. Sorry. <laughs> In all other ways, it gives you a start on doing better the next time. And then conversely, if you write the perfect book, you'll, you'll be still set up. You'll be set up for life or whatever. So that myth is also, that is also a myth. You don't write just one book and then live off of that for the rest of your life. Um, every author I know has, has to continue publishing books in order for their backlist to keep selling at least at livable rates because they do drop off and you do get trickle sales in here and there. But um, one really excellent book can keep you floating for a while, but it too will eventually drop. So that, that was my first myth. All right, I would say, and I think this myth probably comes out of traditional publishing. I would say it's probably more true in that realm that if your first couple of books don't do well, the publisher may just not want to publish the rest of the series or anything else from you. And they may also not even give you the rights back to those books and characters uh, so you can try on your own. But um, you can, you can, if you're trad publisher and that happens, you can try starting from scratch with a pen name and querying, querying new agents and publishers, but it is going to set you back. So like I said, I think this myth kind of comes out of that realm because <laughs> it's, it's a big pain in the butt if those first ones don't do well. And especially what I hear today from people in that, uh, on that side is that publishers used to be like a lot more willing, willing to kind of bring along a new author and help them grow their career. And now it's sort of like, oh, you weren't a hit with your first book. See ya. Um, but at least with self-publishing, you do have more options if that happens or, you know, and if, of course, if you self-publish from the start, you don't even have to worry about it. Some you may find that some of your earlier stuff is not up to the quality that you're later able to do. And especially if you kind of jumped right to self, right to publishing right away with your first book. A lot of people, now that it's basically pretty easy to do, there aren't any gatekeepers, right? You don't have to query, you don't have to do workshops and classes and all that stuff if you don't want to, but you might want to consider it anyway. Um, but if you find your earlier books are just not up to snuff, you can always unpublish them later. It, you know, if you feel like later on the books that you really want to be out there are much better and you don't want people to stumble on the early ones. But honestly, people probably aren't even going to see your older titles unless they become super fans and then go hunting for your older stuff. You know how hard it is just to get anything seen. Uh, so it's probably going to be your newer stuff that you're pushing the most that's going to be what what is seen and what is out there. But uh, overall, I agree with Andrea that self-publishers don't really need to worry about this. Yeah, and like, it's, again, with the focus on self-publishing, like um, nothing is set in stone. Uh, obviously, if you make a paperback and somebody bought the paperback, you can't fix that paperback that is in their library. But like everything can be adjusted and fixed. So you make a book, it doesn't do particularly well, as long as you're not breaking the bank on, on trying to promote those books or, or breaking the bank on producing those books, then you can just sort of leave them out there, uh, call it a lesson, move on. And then as you learn better and maybe you realize, oh, the problem with this book, book was written fine, the reviews are good, I just need a better blurb and a better cover and you go back and fix them. Or, oh, that book was got really bad reviews because it was poorly edited, I can fix the editing. So like even books that didn't initially succeed and I'll grant you it's very hard to get a book to go back and be successful after it's been out for a while but it's not impossible uh, and even if you know even if it's not successful looking for but just um, you know to make sure that your entire library is up to your current level of skill uh, everything is flexible when you're self-publishing so don't worry too much about about failure early on as long as it's not financially devastating uh, and really if you're being intelligent again the cost entry is very low uh, your early books probably shouldn't be huge uh, investments. Okay, so my next myth, and I'm really hoping my internet doesn't kill me during this one, uh, and it could be my computer actually too. My computer could be lagging and not just the internet, which 
Okay. Anyway, I just shut down everything on my desktop except this and my Word document where I have our notes. <laughs> okay. All right. So this myth is one that hits me in the fills. Um, and that is you could just get the perfect schedule, the perfect setup, the perfect, most supportive partner, spouse, family, the perfect location, et cetera. You'd be the most productive you've ever been and will be ragingly successful. Um, and as I said, I feel this one, uh, I'm going to throw it out there as a myth because uh, there will, I mean, there will always be something stopping you from writing. Kids are probably the most important divergent but guys, if I can do it, most of you can too. <laughs> so, I mean, Dr. Lincoln, I mean, I had to, I had to really, really brain my way through setting aside time and figuring out what to do with the kids so I could finish it. But I've only had 14 actual writing days on it, or I will only have had 14 actual writing days on it when it's finished. And that's, you know, separated between by COVID, of course. Um, if you're struggling with health problems, if you don't have a writing space, if your writing space is cluttered, if you're shuttling kids back and forth, these are all things that can stop you from writing, but honestly, life will always throw something at you that'll keep you from being productive. Um, those of us who are dealing with these things, this is our life. We need to embrace it or at least accept it and find a way to deal with it or recognize that we aren't capable currently of being productive or writing at this point and instead focus on healing or solving the problems of life or doing whatever it is we need to do until we're in a better place where we know we can write. Uh, the biggest thing that has kept me from being productive as a mother is burnout. Not my kids, not my schedule, not my writing location, my system, nothing like that. It was burnout. I wrote five novels during my second pregnancy. That pregnancy was the hardest pregnancy in the history of pregnancies. <laughs> a little tongue in cheek there, but I developed mastitis at about five months and was in and out of the hospital for the rest of the pregnancy. And no doctor, I've never met a doctor has ever heard of this ever happening before. Um, I had four emergency surgeries during that pregnancy. I lost two liters of blood, liters of blood when a nurse hit an artery while pulling gauze out of an incision. I was put on 12 rounds of antibiotics. I couldn't even walk because I was in so much pain. And yet I got those five novels written and they were 60,000 words each, which is longer than I do now. Um, besides my romances, they're longer again, but it wasn't until my burnout period uh, in 2019 that I actually had to stop writing period that I was no longer just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I allowed myself to fall into burnout by not taking care of myself, by pushing myself too hard when things on the home front weren't going, weren't going well, not replenishing my rate of energy, basically by not stepping back and saying life sucks right now, but it's going to be okay. Let's take a few months to focus on personal stuff and not worry about books for a little while. And by not doing that, I basically killed myself emotionally, mentally, all of that. Um, yes, your career of life might stop you from writing, but in most cases, writing will depend on your state of mental health more than anything else. If you aren't emotionally able to write, then focus on that first and see if you can figure out a way around your other things that doesn't involve a totally different life or spouse or house or family, partner, kids, in-laws, renters, whatever. Um, and I said, I'm saying all that with all the love in the world, because I totally understand what it's like. I understand what it's like to have your life falling apart because I've been there. Um, and then also the understanding that things will derail you because that that's just what happens with life. Like, you know, illness and moving surgery, injury, all of those things stopped me from writing in the last year, but those kinds of things, they do improve with time. Your current situation will get better if you are not able to write right now, but don't expect, don't feel like you cannot be successful or productive if your life doesn't change significantly, because that's probably not the case. All right, and just a reminder, because <laughs> I was a little bit, it's about um, if you could just get the perfect schedule, the perfect setup, uh, you'd be completely successful. And I will just add that, yeah, the, the people who really want to make it work, find a way. I, I've seen this over and over again. And yes, it usually means giving up something else they love, but they do. Hopefully not your kids. You should probably keep your kids. But, you know, I've known quite a few author moms who, you know, they've got kids that they have to drive around to sporting events, music lessons, their entire weekends are taken up with, you know, their kids swim meet. And, and then they're, in addition to that, 
they have a full-time job and yet somehow and i'm amazed every time i'm just like wow you know they manage to publish a few books a year three or four you know and that's that's a lot there's a lot of people who all they do is write and they do one book a year and they don't have any of these distractions so if the people like i said that are really driven and want to find a way they can find a way uh, and I think it's important too to when you have these kind of things to always remind yourself and I have to do this all the time because I'm horrible about this as well is to not to let not let yourself get into the frame of mind of if when x thing happens everything will be better or when x happens I will take more time off and, and do you know enjoy life more uh, because it kind of lets you off the hook for today and a lot of people also find that it's not really true when when x happens they realize that nothing has really changed as far as their goals or happiness or predict productivity and stuff so there's usually kind of a mindset adjustment that you do, need to make in the present and i fully accept that, that it's easier said than done i absolutely agree the uh, uh like fixating all of your the shortcut, like uh, I'm not successful because of this, uh, and it's a a time crunch thing. Like having a helpful excuse like that is is uh, it can really sort of undermine your success. Like it's suddenly, yeah. You, well, I should. I don't have to work too hard because the problem I'm having isn't isn't with the amount of work I'm doing, with the amount of time I have to do work. Uh, it, it just if you can do any writing at all. Uh, then you can finish a book. And when, if you can finish a book, then you can start moving forward uh, with your career. Uh, Neil Gaiman talks about, I believe one of his, it might've been, uh, it might've been uh, Coraline. He, uh, I think he wrote it at like 300 words at a time. Like he, uh, he, and the other thing is an important thing here. Let's say you do get your, like I quit my job and I was now suddenly able to do eight hours more writing a day. I didn't do eight hours more writing a day. You can't just squeeze your brain harder to get more creativity to fall out of it. There's, there's, you know, other factors at play. So absolutely, if you have a more open schedule, then you're probably going to be able to do more writing, but finding a way to do writing is the more important thing than finding the schedule that allows you to do writing. If you have a commute, then you can do writing on that. Like, Focusing on getting the first book done and figuring out how to get it done in your schedule is infinitely more important than trying to hang your success on, on your schedule. Yeah, I think it was um, Chris Fox with his first, I don't remember, write a thousand, 5,000 words an hour. He was like dictating on the walk to the bus stop or something in the morning. So, there, you know, there's a will, there's a way. Um, but we'll go ahead and I think we're 50 minutes or so, 45 minutes. We'll answer a couple of these questions. Uh, hopefully you guys, it hasn't been so long that you've forgotten that you asked them. <laughs> um, but Paul asked, how do you, this is kind of all related to burnout. He asked, how do you pick the right genre for you to help avoid burnout before you experience success? Um, some genres have release schedules that might burn an author out even when it is the genre they love. And Joe, do you wanna answer this one first? Sure. Uh, in conversation with non-writers, you'll often find that people will pitch you an idea to help you out because a lot of non-writers think that the idea is the hardest part of writing. And people who write for a living tend to discover that everything else is the hard part of writing. <laughs> like writing is the hard part of writing. Ideas come free with the sort of brain that does writing. Uh, if, uh, if, you know, I, I think the best way to pick a genre that won't burn you out is to pick one that lends itself well to the ideas that excite you most. Uh, you should also be aware of how much work goes into a given genre, like period pieces. I've written some short period pieces and historical stuff. Um, 
and they take a lot of work. They take a lot of uh, uh, research because people expect uh, accuracy. Likewise with hard sci-fi, you're going to be learning some scientific concepts if you do hard sci-fi. Uh, and if, you know, if, if you're not the kind of person who likes to do research, these are three subgenres that might not be for you because you'll burn out fast. Um, yeah, if you're hoping to do a series, I'd say like the structure of your take on the genre is more important than the genre itself. Uh, so you should be picking a structure that lends itself well to ongoing plot lines. Like there's a reason that uh, private investigators are so common, even outside of the, the thriller and noir genres, because cases are nice, self-contained stories. They just keep happening. Space operas and epics, on the other hand, they start to gain a, a, an amount of mass and momentum over time that can make them unmanageable. So again, if you're not the kind of person who feels comfortable dragging along an entire lore Bible, uh, as the series goes on, then maybe don't start with an epic. Uh, yeah, so like, keep those things in mind. So it's probably, you know, if you want a genre that's going to help you avoid burnout, I would say it's probably the genre or genres that you've loved for a really long time, like maybe long before you decided to be an author, kind of the things you always go back to when you're in a reading slump or where you, and you really know it backward and forward because you're super versed, you're a super fan yourself and you just read tons of these books. I think where you need to be a little careful if you are prone to kind of feeling these burnout experiences um, is that the newly discovered things or maybe the things we kind of took on because, oh, we read uh, Chris Fox's Ears Are Burning tonight, I'm sure. We read his right to market books and, you know, we're like, oh yes, this is an underserved genre that also has a hungry audience. And eh, yeah, I could write in that, it's kind of in my wheelhouse. You know, I think that's a little more dangerous and that's where you might get into the case where interest may wane especially if you don't immediately have the success you hope to have by choosing that genre so I would say like what is the genre that you would feel compelled to keep writing in even if money weren't on the table for me that tends to be high fantasy and space opera it's the stuff I, I watched all the you know space shows as a kid I read all the Dungeons and Dragons books and you know I wrote tons of fan fiction first in my head and then finally I started writing things down long before like I thought oh I can make money doing this um, and as an example of something that is less in my wheelhouse but what I've written in you know I, I've wandered off into urban fantasy more you know the contemporary stuff to try new things and keep it fresh in part but also because I was like oh I wonder if I could make as much selling these books that are much easier to write than the epic fantasy that's three times as long and honestly it was kind of true for me they were easier to write in comparison to the other genres I like. And again, they didn't take as long and I could charge just as much. But I would say that's probably not a genre where I would write it if money wasn't at all a factor. I enjoyed the stories I wrote, of course. Let's hope you enjoy your stories. But I haven't read a ton of other authors in that genre. And when I've tried, I have to, I have to admit, like, eh, not really my thing so much. So I think that's where you need to be really careful when you're picking things that are financially motivated and not just super passion motivated. Um, I'd also say that Feeling that you need to do have a crazy release schedule is also, you know, we, we talked about this earlier, it's a bit of a myth. They're, you know, like we said, they're, they're the mega sellers that sell hugely well, release a ton of books, are always in the charts, and they're awesome, and they're making a ton of money. And like we talked about, you don't necessarily, let's hope all of us don't need to make seven figures to, uh, to feel content in life. So just remember that success you can be just like i said a couple of series maybe selling moderately well you know maybe if you're able to sell a few hundred copies a month could be a goal 
uh, you don't necessarily need to be releasing tons uh, in any genre to make that happen. It just it may take longer. You know, people want to be successful right away. And some of it is just gradually building up a fan base over time and collecting a few more people with each release is what you should hope to be doing. I don't really like the number seven. So I'm not eating for seven figures. I'm eating for eight figures. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, I restarted my computer. So now I'm back on and hopefully this, hopefully you guys tell me if my internet craps out again. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say burning out almost never has to do with your books or the genre, but your personal life or other things on your plate. So the best way to prevent burnout is by managing stress, not, not overloading yourself and not pushing yourself harder than you have energy for. So Choosing a genre you love will help, and that can sometimes prevent or push back burnout, but it won't necessarily keep it from happening permanently. Make sure you're doing the things you enjoy on a regular basis and keep a healthy balance between writing and publishing and the other important things in your life. Yep. Um, so uh, we got a question here from Amanda Howard. Uh, what are some of the ways burnout hides, i.e. going from loving your story to hating it overnight? And uh, I would say that I think burnout can hide by sneaking up uh, step by step. All of us prioritize it's necessary but it, as you run shorter and shorter on mental fuel the lower priority things start to drop off to make room for the higher priority things and if you find that the smaller elements of your book biz are consistently falling off the schedule to make time for writing or worse for if basic human upkeep is getting lower and lower on the priority list you're already burned out you're running on fumes and you're stealing from the future to keep the present going so I feel like that's the, the main way that burnout will hide is that you will have learned how to manage it to the degree that it doesn't affect you immediately. Um, and likewise, enthusiasm is another, uh, like you talk about loving to hating your story. Enthusiasm is not a good indicator. If, if you're an outliner, for instance, and you remember being super excited about a certain scene when you made the outline and then it gets to that point in the story and it feels like a slog, you might be closer to the bottom of the emotional barrel than you think you are. So, you know, just, be mindful of the amount of effort it takes you to do things because that's going to be the canary in the coal mine for if, if burnout is, is looming. Right. And I think I gave this answer in the original show we did on burnout and I'm going to kind of go back to it, sort of looking into the health side of things. For me, the days where I'm like super eh, on my stories and don't think that they're that good and I don't really want to work on them are usually the days where I didn't sleep well and I'm grumpy and fatigued and the brain is not firing on all cylinders. Uh, I think a lot of us, a lot of what we call burnout is to some degree a health issue and resolving that will kind of resolve the rest and make the, make us <laughs> enjoy writing again. But that's always easier said than done, especially if you're dealing with a chronic health issue. And even if you don't think you are, the burnout slash mental disinterest in your work may be one of the first signs that you actually are dealing with a health issue and something to look into. Um, but if some, some other line of work is calling to you, that's one thing. But if it's really hard to just muster excitement for anything, uh, there you go. Okay, so someone please remind me in the Facebook group and I'll post all of my answers and comments and thoughts in there so you can have them even with the crappy internet. I apologize for that. Luckily, we do write out our comments, our questions, thoughts ahead of time, and um, I can copy and paste that. So um, I loved both in Joe and Lindsay's answers quite a bit, and I wasn't sure how to add to them. And so I actually asked Nolan how he knows when he's burned out, since he is very, very heavily in the creative aspect. He is an illustrator and an editor. Um, he said he can tell he's struggling when he's easily distracted and can't focus on what he's doing. So basically, other things are far more interesting and not just a little here and there or day here and there, but over and over again. Also, when he's excessively tired, he wants to eat junk food, or from my point of view, he's crankier than usual or has a really short wick. Burnout is hiding there somewhere. 
and I'm done talking. <laughs> she even muted herself before she finished the sentence. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up on that one since uh, this isn't <laughs> this night isn't going the best for us as far as recording goes. But thank you, everyone, especially if you listened all the way to the end. We appreciate it. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. See you next week. See y'all later. So long, everybody. <laughs>